Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles people who are passionate about what they do for a living, what organization they belong to, or the community they are a part of. Here is your host, Dave Cunningham. Thank you, Steve. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My guest in this episode is Bruce Kaufman, a local poet who has made significant contributions to our literary community. Bruce has published several collections of his own work and is a tireless advocate for poetry and the arts. He has also organized numerous open mic sessions, providing a platform for other local poets to share their work and gain exposure. Moreover, Bruce is the host of the weekly radio show, Finding a Voice, which explores the rich world of poetry and prose, expanding the audience for these important art forms. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the world of poetry with Bruce Kaufman. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for the invitation to come out. It it really means a lot, so thanks a lot, Dave. My pleasure. We'll remind our listeners that we are recording this particular podcast in mid-February 2023, And I'll start off by telling you that uh, I'm one of those individuals who has never taken the time to appreciate poetry, but hopefully by the end of this conversation, that will have changed. So so I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you very much. We're going to talk about a film that has uh, made the rounds. It was produced back in 2019, and it's called Who is Bruce Kaufman? And we'll talk a bit more about the movie later, but I wanted to start with this. The, the very first words that come out of the movie, as I recall, and I think it's you talking at the beginning, and you say that the poet is the priest of the invisible. Is that you talking? In this that movie? is me talking, and that's actually a quote. Uh, Wallace Stevens, I believe, was the person that coined that phrase uh, in uh, a, short, a short way of defining what a poet is. So, yeah. What does it mean to you? As a poet? It means to me, I guess, uh, a poet's always just sort of looking through things, looking into, looking at things, but almost, uh, I think, or at least personally, I think it's looking past, into, it's, it's, it's looking into that part of which that we either just see and don't realize that we see and take for granted just because it's so visible uh, or it's just that there. It, it also means that uh, I think uh, that we're looking for what's underneath things, what's behind things, mm-hmm. what's happening that isn't really seen. Where did the bug for writing begin for you? Uh, this is uh, it. To be honest with you, uh, uh, it's. I've been searching for that, uh, and I think I've uh, I've narrowed it down to about when I think I have decided what it is. I realize no, there was probably something before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to make a long story short, there were some definitely huge events, at least for me being a poet. Uh, at least three or four of those that either propelled me or reminded me or whatever. 
but I really think, and I, I've gone back as far as I can possibly go, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this for a while, but uh, my mother, when uh, my sister and I were very young, uh, probably like maybe three or four or five, something like that, she used to read to us at night, and I still remember her reading, I don't remember anything else that she read to us, but she read a poem called Wink and Blinkin' and Nod. <laughs> and I loved it so much when I was that age. And I remember, she didn't read to us every night, but she read to us often enough. I remember requesting that. And most of the time she would just kind of, no, no, I'm going to read this. But that's how much I loved it. And mm -hmm. I think that that was the main seed. There was also, I don't know how much in detail you want me to go into here, uh, in uh, high school, uh, it was uh, grade 12, uh, was an English class, and we were given uh, an assignment to, in that 45-minute or hour-long class, whatever it was, uh, to, we're presented with uh, uh, several poems by, written by different famous people, and uh, our assignment for that session was to write a poem, read through these and write a poem. And uh, I, uh, I mean, that was the last thing on my mind that I wanted to do that day. Uh, and, uh, but I found it kind of, I enjoyed the process. Mm -hmm. And I saw, read a poem by E.E. E. Cummings, and I'd never seen poetry like that. And yeah. it just kind of, and then also, actually before that, in, uh, I was 14, I saw the movie Dr. Zhivago. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, okay. I'll let you bring that up. <laughs> well, no, no. Go ahead and do that. I was interested in how that plays into poetry. Okay. I, uh, I was blown away by that movie. Uh, again, I was 14, 15 years old. The movie had just come out, as I recall. Uh, we lived out in the country, and uh, we lived in uh, kind of a, away from the, a big city, really, uh, far enough away that I'm sure the smaller city it finally came to had probably been out for a while, but yeah. we did uh, get it fairly close, I think. And uh, I fell in love with the movie, and uh, I remember thinking then, and thinking more than anything else I ever wanted to be true, is that I would be a poet one day, and I, I believe that. And so that, that was definitely one of the key moments. So we all have these various things that occur in our lives, and sometimes we don't realize that they are happening as they are happening. Exactly. But when you go back and look at them, yeah. they have had a major impact. Yeah, exactly. So you went to school. You were brought up in Colorado, uh -huh, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And you went to university in Colorado. I did. And from what I have read is that that's where you wrote your first poem. Yeah, after the one in high school in that class. Uh, yeah. And that became very much almost a daily activity. I mean, I was always writing something, maybe not a complete poem, or I didn't even know. Honestly, at that time, I didn't even know if what I was writing was poetry, although some of it looked like poetry. Uh, and uh, I was just... It was a pivotal time. It was uh, in, I mean, it's kind of, there are some similarities to today, but there are a lot of things that, I mean, you had the, uh, the war going on in Vietnam, you had uh, a lot of uh, civil unrest, and you had a lot of, deservedly, civil unrest, and a lot of things going on, a lot of justices that needed to be 
injustices that needed to be addressed. And I was uh, a kid from a farm, and I was just trying to process this all. The first time really living in a city, too, mm-hmm. at university. And so it was my way of trying to figure out what everything was and how I fit into everything. Now, you, you wrote a little bit when you were in your first year university, but you sort of put that on the back burner for a while. And eventually you came to Kingston. So how did coming to Kingston happen with respect to being brought up in Colorado? Okay, I, I'm going to kind of fill in a gap there. Yep. Uh, all the way through university, I wrote a fair amount. But then you get busy with life. Yep. And raised a family and uh, worked and... I still found time for poetry, but not as much time. But then in the 90s, it's just like I had a rebirth. And then when I, uh, and I, went, and I, uh, I started going to like uh, uh, writing workshops. I started going to uh, readings and things like that. And my writing became a lot differently. And I became, I, that's when I really embraced uh, in the mid '90s, and then that's what I came to Kingston with. Then, mm-hmm. when I arrived here in uh, Kingston in 2001, Let, let's talk a little bit about the process of writing poems. And I guess for the um, for someone like me who has not spent a lot of time uh, thinking about poetry or reading a lot of poetry, the mental concept we have of a poem is that it has to be rhyming and, and all that sort of thing. Um, what's your process in terms of writing a poem? Where do you start? Okay. I'm glad I brought that up about how it changed from when I first wrote in university and then in the 90s, because that's when my, the whole process changed as well. In the first years it was a lot of that rhyming sequence and it, I mean I'd played a, a, a musical instrument so I think I had maybe some internal sense of rhythm or something like that so I that worked for me for quite a while but then I started to explore uh, uh, just more free verse and things like that a little less regimented uh, sort of uh, writing and uh, that's when I also I think in the earlier stuff I had to, and that's why it's different for everybody too. I think every poet has their own way of, uh, of uh, creating. But mine moved from more of a thought process uh, where you worked it out mentally, uh, the lines and the words and things like that, to more like, uh, and what still remains, uh, what developed in the, in the late 90s was... Uh, I call it a more of an intuitive approach, and it's just to simply observe things, maybe write down a couple of words, and then honestly, it's almost uh, like magic when you sit down and just quiet yourself and just kind of, I don't know if it's truly focus or if it's absolutely loose focus, whatever it is, that the words just start to come. It's almost as if someone is reciting the poem to you. I've had conversations with many different songwriters around, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, every once in a while, they will have stuff in their head that they want to get out, and they want to go into a recording studio and get it all down uh, in, into the computer so that it's out. 
it sounds like it's something similar with you, that mm-hmm. there's stuff that's going on in your head. You've got an idea or mm-hmm. a few words you want to put down, and then it just, it just comes right out. Flows right out. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I guess for someone who is not creative, that's, that's hard to absorb in, in that it seems to all come out uh, as almost a finished poem to a certain extent. Yeah, exactly. How much do you go back and edit that after you've put it down on paper or do you? Once in a while you're lucky and, and it, it comes out pretty much intact. Uh, uh, more often than not, though, most of the time there has to be some editing done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but you've got, you've got the bulk of it uh, like that. So, When you are composing a poem... Um, how much does an audience's potential reaction to your poem influence you when you're writing the poem? I don't think I go there. I don't mm-hmm. think I think about that. Uh, I think I just try to be honest to the to the to the poem as it arrives, mm-hmm. uh, and just allow it to arrive. And uh, and there are some, yeah. And I mean, I write poems that will never see an audience anyway you know they'll never see the light of day really there mm-hmm. there were uh, sometimes I compare those poems to uh, and I don't work with them either I never get to the point where I fully edit them or anything like that it's almost like I kind of liken it to uh, 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 say a pianist uh, that uh, performs uh, you're going to hear the performance, but you're never going to hear all of the times they just went through all of their musical scales, Yeah, uh, all of those practices. That's what uh, a lot of my poetry is, mm-hmm. are just kind of uh, exercises, I guess. We've asked you to bring along a couple of uh-huh. poems, and can you read one of them now for us? Sure. This is called Home. Living alone these past 15 years. Long ago befriended in it the quietness. Spoke even then of the different notes and arrangements in that music of silence. And always in that time have chosen the aloneness, the smallest of apartments in which to dwell. I do think perhaps I had always the heart of a gypsy, but just never the feather, the wing. That's called home. Yeah. I can remember going back to high school and taking an English class and having the teacher say, what do you think the poet meant ah. by these lines? Is that something that still goes on? You know what? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't ever really... I don't resonate with that sort of thing. I, I'm more of the belief, I mean, I saw what was the Robin Williams uh, movie where uh, he was a teacher, poetry teacher, oh my gosh. Goodwill Hunting? No. No? Uh, doesn't it, matter. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I mean, it seemed like the focus of that film, as I recall it, and this is going back a good number of years, but was that... I don't believe that, I guess what I'm getting to is I don't believe that there is a meaning for, I think there are a variety of meanings for uh, a line in a poem or the poem Mm -hmm. itself, that everybody's going to have a little bit of a different interpretation or could have a different interpretation. Uh, 
than even the one the poet intended, which is great too. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, my poems uh, might mean something completely different to me than they do to somebody that's listening to them. And that's cool. Uh, I mean, if it means something to them, uh, that's wonderful. And if it doesn't, that's wonderful too. But uh, yeah, I don't know that I subscribe to that idea that the line has to be a certain thing. And I don't know if it's still being taught that way. Paraphrasing something that we've all heard before, meaning is in the ears of the listener. Ah, yeah. Let's move on to that movie. Okay. Who is Bruce Kaufman? Where did this originate? Uh, It was just a a few people I know and friends that uh, appreciated some of the things I was doing in the community and thought uh, that it would be a nice way to bring up, because a good portion, I mean, really the basic portion of that film is a lot less to do about me than it is to do about the, the, this incredible poetry and artistic community uh, that we have here in Kingston. And it brought filmmakers and uh, poets and musicians all together uh, to, uh, to create that movie. And so the, I have, for a long time, helped try to promote as best I can uh, mm-hmm. what's going on. And I have created a couple of different projects uh, that have helped to try to move, uh, move poetry along. Uh, again, had, I, had there not been open mic readings had there not been book launches and workshops and things like that that I'd become interested in in the late 90s uh, I don't know if I would be a poet today Mm -hmm. Uh, so my idea was to go ahead and see if I could actually create some of those things here so that uh, it would help people who were maybe struggling with poetry or who needed that next thing you know to happen so yeah. that they could uh, is so that they they would grow in that. So, I I watched the movie. So we'll tell the listeners that the movie is available on YouTube. That's where I it found is. it. Yeah, and uh, we'll put uh, some directions to where it is in the liner notes oh, to the podcast you. once yeah. uh, we're done here. But that's what the subject I found was and was the movie was all about. Was that okay? You are a poet, but there are other people around you mm-hmm. who are uh, writing some good stuff, and let's give everyone an opportunity exactly. to. Uh, show people what they are doing as well so in 2009 you you've already alluded to it you started up this open mic thing Uh and for those who are not aware now uh, i've mentioned this before and we have folks who listen to this podcast who are not from kingston uh, who may be from Uh somewhere else but i'm sure this sort of thing goes on in all sorts of different communities around the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, But in 2009, you started an open mic session, and that was the motive, was to get other Mm -hmm. people to stand up and read what they're writing without any judgment or just to illustrate exactly what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. Initial reaction to it when you started? It was great, actually. So... Uh, there, and, you know, there may have been a couple of others. I mean, Kingston's a big enough city, and I'm, I'm certainly not everywhere. There might have been other ones going on uh, as well at the same time. In fact, I know of at least one other one that was going on at that time, arranged a little bit differently than the way I arranged mine. Uh, but uh, uh, 
uh, you're going to have those variations too. Uh, so, but it was really well received, and so yeah, it was, and it's gone through now uh, five or six different venues. Mm-hmm. We're in the Elm Cafe now. We started at the Artel when it was the Artel. And uh, now we're at the Elm Cafe and uh, even managed to take it through the uh, COVID session uh, just by doing it sort of remotely, but then in yeah. uh, M- uh, McBurney Park as well. So Now, uh, you've been doing these monthly, correct? Yeah. Okay. One of the things I find interesting, too, is that it doesn't really matter what art form you're talking about, is that there is a tendency for the people who live in a community to look outside their community for good stuff, uh-huh. whether it be paintings or music or, or uh-huh. writings or novels or whatever. But uh, sometimes we neglect to look at the great crowd of people who are making stuff uh-huh. right under your nose. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what I was impressed with, and I couldn't believe the amount of talent that there is here in Kingston, uh, the uh, the poetic talent and uh, the number of poets and writers. And if I can kind of extend that a little bit, you might have been going that way anyway, but after I had done that for almost a year, I'm going, these people need the bigger audience than mm-hmm. just that. And that's when I went ahead and started my radio show at CFRC. That's exactly where I was I going, I figured Bruce. that's kind of where you were <laughs> leading. So, 2010, you started doing a show on CFRC, uh-huh. which for those folks who don't live in Kingston, is a station based in the university community here in town. It's been around for over 100 years. The radio station has. Uh, the show hasn't been around over 100 yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> But it has been around since 2010. It's called Finding a Voice. Yeah, exactly. And you do it every week. It's two hours every Friday afternoon. Uh-huh, yeah. And for those out of town, you can obviously uh, go to cfrc.ca and yeah, find uh-huh. the show. Uh, it's not just poetry that you do on the show. No, it's not. Because uh, I've tried to uh, and to make the show viable. I mean, we only have a, we only had the poetry reading once a month, and uh, so. I try to uh, capture whatever uh, readings, uh, book launch events, at novel, mostly at Novel Idea, but also on Queen's campus. Uh, so I try to find a few things that are going on, even some I've recorded, some remote uh, uh, online uh, things as well. So I do include other things as well, and not strictly poetry either. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We- you're a one-man show when it comes to doing the program, correct? Well, yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. We talked about that before we started recording, and if you're going out to do a recording in a hall, you're at the mercy of whoever <laughs> is sitting around you. At yeah, table, exactly. <laughs> shaking the ice cubes inside their glasses, you're trying to record somebody that's 20 or 30 feet away from you. Um, when it comes to the whole business of writing, uh-huh. Um, I've talked about this topic with musicians, and, I, and I'll ask you the same sort of question, is that can you make a living as a poet? If you're really, really lucky, and if you're, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that strictly as a poet, I don't know that, I don't know how easy it would be to do. I, w- I would think that maybe, though, if you're a poet, you would find some things that are still 
that you might still be passionate about. Like maybe you could make a living being a poet and editing and also doing some other freelance writing or, or things like that uh, at the same time. Uh, you might be able to do it with, I mean, if you're lucky enough to get a grant, mm-hmm. uh, you might be able to do something like that and, uh, and are, uh, are ambitious enough to look for those grants and apply for those grants and things like that. Uh, I mean, there are a few people that have done it, like Leonard Cohen and uh, some other people. Uh, but uh, He even tried singing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he did that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, I just remember when he won an award as Male Vocalist of the Year, and he basically laughed when he <laughs> received the award because he was not knowing, known for his vocal talent, but he was a great writer. Yeah. Um, where does poetry stand these days in terms of its popularity or the people writing poems? Is it uh, Are more people writing or less people writing or who's appreciating it? Do you have a sense of that? I don't know if it's a sense of that or it's an awareness of it. it Maybe uh, it just seems that way, but I know that I seem to me like in, uh, in the... It seemed like Poetry was kind of rare to find in Kingston in, uh, when I started uh, Open Mic. I mean, again, there might have been some things going on that I wasn't aware of that were yeah. going on. Uh, but some things that had started had finished, uh, some things. Uh, and, uh, and so it just seemed like overall that it was kind of uh, lower in the scale of things that might be happening what I noticed, though, is uh, not just in Kingston, but it seemed like it was almost, uh, uh, it became sort of a national or maybe even global sort of thing that poetry became a lot more important to people. Uh, you had the spoken word, and that was already around somewhere, mm-hmm. but the spoken word, uh, uh, slam poetry, those kinds of things starting to, their popularity starting to grow, and that that's taking it away from people like me, taking it down to uh, teenagers and, and university students. Uh, the, the, those kinds of things were more attractive to some of those that maybe couldn't relate uh, to some of the older forms of poetry or the more rigid uh, 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 teachings, I guess, of how poet, uh, poetry should be presented or perceived or whatever. And so that was their way. And again, those things were already happening, but I saw that really start to grow. It became very, very popular uh, in the last uh, 10 years. And uh, there was a lot of spoken word poetry around. So I think it's become, I think one thing that really caught my attention was that of all things, uh, was, I don't even remember the name of the company, but there was a, a commercial on TV and they had used poetry in the holiday season to promote their thing, and I'm going, okay, now if it's reached that level, <laughs> I guess. We must be doing something right. Exactly, I don't know. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm thinking, going back to the open mic sessions uh-huh. that you've been doing all along, I would guess that there would be people who have fiddled around and, and written some poems on their own, but haven't been comfortable enough presenting them to other people, and the open mic gives them the opportunity to do that. Without yeah. anybody criticizing or making yeah. comments on it. Yeah. I found that to be the case. It's, and luckily, and I think purposely, or just the way it just is, 
this particular open mic has always been very generous, very uh, compassionate. And people, I've had people, a lot of times we do things in a first session and then after an intermission there's a second session or however it works out, uh, that people that are coming for the first time and have never read will actually, and they didn't sign up to read, approach me and occasionally, you know, and mm -hmm. quite often it's once or one or maybe two people uh, will come up to me at intermission and go, is it too late to add my name to the list? So they actually want to get up and read uh, their poem as well, be just because they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then there are also, the other thing that creates too is people know it's coming up, so it's almost incentive to write something in between. They know it's coming up. They sit down and write a poem just so they have something to present mm -hmm. at the next open mic. Can you give us some sense as to some of the people around town that have um, started to build a reputation as, as poets? Oh, there are, there are a lot of people that have. That, I mean, there were some people that were already published. Uh, it's It's been across the board from people that have never written a poem or really gone to any poetry related event ever uh to uh, some really quite well published people too and so we have a number a very big cross-section that way yeah there are a couple of other events that uh, seem to happen once a year. One's in the summer, one's in the fall. Uh -huh. And one is the uh, Poets at Art Fest. Uh -huh. Describe what that is. That's a multi-day poetry uh, festival, I guess, uh, where anywhere between, and it's, I think this, this summer is going to be the ninth year of that, uh, usually between uh, 40 and 55 poets over the course of the three days or occasionally four days when it's a four-day weekend uh, share a share a stage in hour-long groups so we have people coming from uh, I send the invitation out and uh, a lot of a lot of the poets attending are local uh, but also all the way from Montreal uh, Ottawa Toronto sometimes Peterborough and where does this happen? It happens in City Park as part okay. of uh, of uh, Art Fest Kingston. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's tied into that. So we have a stage and or a tent, and uh, it's not amplified just because uh, things are kind of tight. So mm -hmm. I don't want to intrude in other other people's sound space right, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you also have people there trying to make a living selling their wares, right? Or sitting right beside you. So that's important to them. The other event is uh, something that happens in the fall. Yeah. And that is 100,000 Poets for Change. Uh-huh. So that's an international event? It is. It's a global event, uh, unfortunately. And I'm, I imagine it's going to carry on, but uh, Michael Rothenberg... Uh, started that event, and I believe that was about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, with his, I believe, partner then, is now, uh, was, uh, Terry Callian, I think was her name, uh, but Michael just passed away uh, a few months ago. Uh, I assume that uh, these were always events just lined up locally, mm -hmm. so people would tie into that theme. Their themes were... Uh, 
social justice, environmentalism, uh, peace, love, those kinds of ideas. Uh, I imagine that it will still continue because it was all derived locally. I don't know if Terry or someone else will carry on uh, the tradition still then of uh, compiling everything together and kind of having a space for it. They had a Facebook and a website for it, and they would kind of just compile all the different sites, and people would, again, uh, it's locally driven, so it would be people sending the information mm-hmm. to them. So uh, I imagine uh, I still plan on creating an event this year as well again. Uh, I think this is our maybe eighth year, maybe seventh or eighth year of doing that as well. And it's been held traditionally at the Spire. Okay, which is part of a church yeah, in yeah, the downtown of yeah, Kingston. Is, yep. Uh, yeah, yep. Nice spot. Street United yep. Church, yeah. Yep. When you mentioned about the uh, some of the topics that uh, people write about for this particular festival, it I just sort of popped into my head. You and I are in the same age, uh-huh. and we can remember back to the days of Peace and Love and Woodstock uh-huh, and, yeah. and all of this, and, and Ginsburg, I forget his first name. Alan. Alan Ginsburg was a well-known poet at the time uh-huh. who was far left in his political leanings, uh-huh. as I recall. Um, is there somebody like that besides Bruce Kaufman? Who, can, who has that sort of influence these days as a poet? Uh, you know what? I don't think Bruce Kaufman has that sort of influence. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just, I, I've always said, and I will stick by that, I'm just the doorman. I, yeah. I see, I, 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 I can see things, and it, those things wouldn't be there if there weren't already the people there wanting to do them. And I'm yeah. just basically opening the door. I don't know. I mean, there are. I'm drawing a blank at names. There are probably some yeah. international and famous poets, and uh, but uh, I think it's the breadth uh, that's more important. The breadth of poetry and the diversity of poetry that is making poetry grow. Actually, mm-hmm. and that people go, sense. "Oh my God, that's poetry! I can do that." Or I can understand. I, I can understand this poetry. I couldn't understand that poetry, but I can understand this poetry. Now you've published uh, four collections, uh-huh. from what I've read, and four chapbooks. Uh-huh. What's a chapbook? A chapbook is basically anything that's a smaller version of a book, and I don't know what the. I'm thinking it's under forty pages, maybe okay. something like that. It could even be less than that. It could be as long as many as two pages. So it's something less than a full book. If it's a single page, it would just be called a broadside. Okay. Uh, uh, so yeah, I have uh, those as well. Yeah. Now you are publishing a new book, new yeah, collection exactly, of books. Yeah. Now, uh, can we get you to read another poem? Is this sure. from the new book? The uh, the other one was too, and okay. so is this one. Okay. Great. Uh, It's called Telling. I will tell you of a unique building, its storefront. You might like to check, I say. Or I will tell you about a lost place in a forest where two rivers meet, just ahead of the falls, their waters absolutely intermingled then. And in the telling, I know already before the end of the day, before even the end of this hour, you will have forgotten. That's understandable. 
you weren't meant to remember. It simply wasn't the right time or place for it. But one day, weeks, months, years, even decades from now, you will come in real life, in happenstance, if such a thing exists, you will stumble upon that very unique storefront or come upon that lost place in the forest and hear the falls nearby. And you will look at either for a first time and you will believe you had never been there before. But you will recognize it in a way you cannot understand or describe, you will feel a fullness in it, a familiarity you cannot explain. You will call it deja vu. You will remember it for the rest of your life. Nice. Thank you. How important is the reading of a poem to the process? I think reading a poem, or in hearing anybody read their poems, I think it just adds a whole another layer to the poem, and I think it's important. It's just the way you read it as well. I think so. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. If someone's interested in finding out more information about the events that you host, uh-huh. the best way to get a hold of you is? Probably email is the best. Uh, I don't carry a cell phone. I haven't owned one in forever almost. You haven't owned a cell phone? No. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to believe. So if an idea comes to your mind, you just take out the pen and paper? That's imperative for me. Mm -hmm. I don't don't compose on a computer. Yeah. Oh, really? No. Okay. Uh, I have a theory. uh, It's just my theory. But uh, I, I remember reading someplace that we use a different side of the brain to create, uh, to, as we type on a computer than we do when we write. We use the other side when we write with a pen on the paper because it's more um, sensual. It's more... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And so that's why I've always just preferred the pen to the paper. But getting back to your question, <laughs> my email address is bruce, B-R-U-C-E dot K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N at hotmail.com. Okay. They can get a hold of me. I also create a weekly floating list. I call it a floating list just because it's out there and it's always updated every week. So it's a weekly list of events and calls for submissions. So it lists the few things that uh, I'm aware of as far as upcoming events and calls uh, that are mostly literary, but there are some art-related ones as well. And uh, if they let me know they'd like to receive that, it usually, usually runs from 8 to 12 or 13 pages, uh, just blurbs of all of the things. Uh, I'd be happy to send them, include them on the list. It's a free list. Uh, yeah. And what we'll do is we'll put some of this information on the liner notes to the oh, podcast, which is online. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to drop by. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I'm very humbled to be here. And all the best with the new collection. Thank you very and much. And all the events that you host. Thank you. My guest in this episode, Bruce Kaufman. Let me repeat a couple of contact points for Bruce. To send him an email, his address is bruce.kaufman, and his last name is spelled K-A-U, 
F-F-M-A-N, at hotmail.com. And his radio show airs Friday afternoons on CFRC at 101.9 FM and is also available online. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon. The theme music for the podcast is Stasis Oasis, written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of the episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast at gmail.com. For details on upcoming guests, follow us on Facebook. The Kingstonian Podcast is hosted by Dave Cunningham and produced in Kingston, Ontario, Canada.